Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? Hope your tryptophan uh, hangovers have mostly subsided. Tryptophan wane. That yes. is both a command to your tryptophan levels and also a great name for a laconic rapper. <laughs> wow. That's an amazing MC handle. I like it. I be in turkey because I love to eat turkey. <laughs> Don't quit your day job. <laughs> uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we got a great show for you tonight. Rolling out a little bit of a new format for you here on the Baltimoreans. Um, tonight we are we are going to uh, we're going to debut some new segments. Which really, I don't know if they're new segments. We're just giving existing segments new names. Right. Um, anyway, uh, we're also going to have a great interview with Mr. Nick Mendillo, one of the people that I spent a pleasurable and confusing weekend in Arizona with as part of the MLB Fan Cave competition. Nick actually ended up making it into the Fan Cave, so we're going to talk to him a little bit about that, as well as his beloved Boston Red Sox. So he was in the Fan Cave for the year that the Red Sox, against all odds, went to first place and won the World Series. Yes, sir. Shouldn't that be sort of the pinnacle of being a sports fan? Well, we'll have to ask him about that. All right, let's find (laughs) out. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, at the end of the show, um, we're going to have, uh, it, I know that nothing can top Charlie Hoppus's musical performance on the show a couple weeks ago. And to dream the impossible dream to fight the unbeatable foe to bear with long road trips to Oakland to walk. When the pitches are low. And I'm not going to pretend that the musical segment we have prepared for you this week is going to do that. Uh, but we do have another musical segment prepared, which will be vying for second place all time in Baltimore's musical segments. And much like Charlie's, uh, this one comes with a built-in moral if you if you listen for it. Oh, yes. We're all about ethics here in Hootenanny Studios, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we are also, of course, here at Hootenanny Studios, a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You know it. So, <clears throat> two weeks ago, yeah. before our Thanksgiving break, mm-hmm. we brought you the sounds of 73. Oh, yeah, we did. Um, and I had so much fun breaking one sensory boundary uh, that immediately on conclusion of that episode... I set out two weeks ago to imagine a new way of grappling with the number 74. Whoa. Now, here on episode 74, we, we know there are approximately 74 different flavors of Kool-Aid. We know this. And I use the phrase approximately because there is essentially only one flavor of Kool-Aid, which is to say sweet. But <laughs> a discerning tongue can, with enough training, begin to decipher the different Kool-Aid idiosyncrasies so that after some experimentation it seemed clear to me that the best method for discovering the taste of 74 was to combine a smidgen of each flavor in a single pitcher Mm. this would on completion create such a smorgasbord of flavor crystals that the scales would be sure to fall from my eyes and i would see the path forward to an energy neutral economy the answer to who really shot jfk 
and even an inkling to which of the Orioles prospects deep in our triple A, double A, and single A systems would eventually make the big leagues. So I was excited. We should also at some point have a conversation about those scales on your eyes. <laughs> uh, I sprang into action and trawled the interwebs for a list of the 74 flavors and set out to get a single packet of each. Um, and it be quickly became clear that the original six, cherry, grape, lemon, lime, orange, raspberry, and strawberry, were going to be easy to find. Uh, that the sugar-free flavors were very popular right now. And that um, some of the less well-known flavors were only available internationally or were even entirely discontinued. Still, I was undaunted. I had two weeks, eBay, and the dusty backrooms of more Brooklyn bodegas than I could visit in a lifetime. <laughs> Surely, all 74 flavors were attainable. Some of these flavors, though, are really, really strange. <laughs> Purple Saurus Rex. Is that a flavor, or is it some sort of Paleolithic sewer-dwelling creature? The Great Blue Dini sounds like a gay club to me. Did you know that there is actually a chocolate flavor Kool-Aid? <laughs> chocolate. Kool-Aid. Gross. I found an entire package of discontinued scary flavors at a Halloween store that was finishing packing its bags and becoming the hardware store that it usually is for the other 10 months of the year. I had to outbid someone for a packet of guarana flavor on eBay and then had to spend 20 minutes with a botany book to learn that guarana is a climbing plant in the maple family, which is native to the Amazon basin. <laughs> and then, <laughs> after this journey, there was only one flavor left. It was down to locating a single bag of Sharkleberry Finn. It's, it's a new pink flavor from Kool-Aid. New Sharkleberry Finn. Fantastic. It tastes so here. You're gonna quit. New Sharkleberry Finn from Kool-Aid. Whoa. Fantastic. I searched high and low, and yet I couldn't find it anywhere. I confess to you, Baltimoreans, that I was near to quitting. My shoes were worn through, but I found myself only a few days ago in Long Island City, standing desolately in the rain as the seven train rattled overhead, just about to abandon everything and return home. And then I saw it. Nestled behind the scratched and yellowed bulletproof glass of a liquor store, there was a single pale pink package of Sharkleberry being advertised as a way to make some $6 handle of off-brand vodka from 1986 palatable. <laughs> I raced inside, only to see a middle-aged woman stride to the counter and ask the slouched teenager on duty for that package of Kool-Aid. No! I, I was stunned. Rooted to the spot. What, what were the chances? Was I at last to come so close only to fail? I confess to you that tears sprang to my eyes. But then... I looked at the woman, tall, slightly overweight. She had long dreadlocks pulled back in a brightly colored handkerchief and two bags of groceries under her arms filled with fruits and green vegetables. But most importantly, I saw that this woman had a deep, childlike smile plastered over her features. And suddenly, standing, dripping in this store, I realized something. I realized that this woman was purchasing a small sip of her childhood, of that moment when her mother now a grandmother staring great-grandmothership in the face, came home with the hot new thing, the as-seen-on-TV product, that she and her two older brothers gathered around the kitchen table to share. And I could see the amusement and the pleasure in her face at the notion that this would, when shared with those two others at Christmas or sometime in the future, give them all a moment of nostalgia and pleasure 
perhaps even deeper than my own transient shot at the glory of 74. And I saw, Baltimoreans, the simple truth that letting someone in line ahead of you can make a day just as surely as being given the finger in traffic can ruin one. That we all have ripple effects in every action far greater than we know, and that acknowledging, for a moment, another's humanity and history is a gift that we can give each other every day, at almost no cost to ourselves and to great benefit to others. So you see, friends, I set out to find you the taste of 74, and in so doing, I think I found myself. Ladies and gentlemen, Alan Smith. Wow! Fantastic! Now, I just want to point something out, Alan Smith. <laughs> yes, sir. On And, and I want... This is... This is why I need people to understand that what you're doing right now, listening to the Baltimoreans podcast, is a special thing. <laughs> because on any other self-respecting Orioles podcast <laughs> that tells you what episode they're on and then comes up with a series of facts about that episode number. Right. <laughs> here is the fact that they would give you for episode 74. Yeah. The 1974 Baltimore <laughs> Orioles won 91 games. Finished first in the American League East and made it all the way to the American League Championship Series, which I guess was the only series you could make it to before the World Series at that time. But I think it's fair to say that everyone listening to this podcast already knew that. (laughs) (laughs) And that is why, Alan Smith, in what, I forget what you said about Guarana Berry? Guarana Berry, yeah. Guarana Berry. In doing the research to determine where said berry grows (laughs) and some of its vegetative characteristics... You, I think, did more research <laughs> than anyone at the Kool-Aid Corporation, which I assume it's called. Yeah. Kool-Aid Corp. Kool-Aid Corp. You did more research on it than they have ever done <laughs> and put more time into that introduction than they have ever come that they, they have ever come close to putting in for one of their ad campaigns. Let's look. This is the <laughs> ham-handed way in which Kool-Aid is advertised. A giant pitcher of Kool-Aid smashes through a wall. Right. And and then is just like, deal with this. <laughs> no, it is actually of, a really aggressive campaign, isn't it? It's very aggressive, and and we should that. we should pause here to acknowledge the comedic genius of Dane Cook in pointing <laughs> this out in his seminal album Harmful If Swallowed. That's true. But look at what you did instead. <laughs> you Don Drapered Kool Aid on episode seventy four of Baltimoreans. All right, Alan Smith. Time to run down some uh, some news. It's been uh, I don't know if you noticed. Been a lot going on. It's been a bit of a barn burner. I uh, I uh, I burned my finger on the stove because it's hot. <laughs> okay, Smith. Here's what I want to do. I want to take your temperature. Jim Johnson. I. How are you feeling? I. Well, you know, here's the thing about Jim Johnson. Uh, he got choked up on the call. Yes, this morning about leaving the Baltimore Orioles, and I remembered that the man cared a lot about this team, and I care a lot about him as a result. Mm-hmm. It's going to be sad to see him go. Mm-hmm. It's um, going to be very sad to see him go. Uh, Adam Jones, if Twitter is to be believed, none too pleased with the trade. Uh, his exact tweet was, "Okie dokie," and "Okie" had like forty-two O's. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm with him. Um, I think I think this is the first half of a trade that we haven't seen the second half yet. 
I agree. Because effectively, um, you're freeing up money to go after somebody. Yeah. Um, who that person is and how much we pay them, I think, is what we learn about whether this was a good trade or not. My feeling on it is uh, uh, rational outrage. I'd like mm. to preach a doctrine of rational outrage. <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, as we as we sat here and talked about many times this season, blown saves are not blown saves; they're blown wins. And Jim Johnson had too many of them. Uh, let's say you re- next year they were saying through arbitration he was going to get a salary of about ten million. Let's assume that he saved fifty games for a third straight season, which, by the way, has not happened too frequently in the history of baseball since they invented the save statistic. That's two hundred thousand dollars per save. Mm. Um, I think if we were sitting here saying, let's pay $200,000 per save to uh, Jonathan Papelbon or Joe Nathan, we would not be pleased. I'm I'm, I'm totally with that. My only feeling about that is that given the poo-poo platter that the Nationals gave up to get Doug Fister, given our need for a two or three and someone who, as we've talked about before, is a good wins-above-replacement guy, and given the fact that then— the Tigers turned around and paid too much money to sign Joe Nathan. Right. Clearly, they needed to do such a thing. Why we couldn't have just done a very simple Jim Johnson for Doug Fister swap and called it a day. Well, that's the thing I want to know is, is could we not have packaged Jim Johnson with someone else for a more substantial return than Jamile Weeks? That, to me, is the question. Because when I think about this report that came out earlier in the offseason where we Apparently, we're almost going to tra- uh, trade J.J. Hardy to the Cardinals for Shelby Miller, who's one of the most exciting young pitchers in baseball. Is it really the case that if it had been J.J. Hardy and Jim Johnson, maybe that deal would have worked? Uh, that, to me, is what the question is, which points back to what you're saying, is we have to believe that this is just about freeing up salary so that we can go after a big-ticket free agent. Now, I don't know about you, but the Jamile Weeks thing... Uh, as we will call it from now on, <laughs> is any time Billy Bean has given up on a contact hitter, there's a goddamn reason for it. <laughs> Man does love his contact hitters. Look, just, 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 oh gosh. I mean, he's he, he, he is exactly the kind of player that a Moneyball team should want to have. If Billy Bean is shipping him off, that means he's damaged goods and I don't right. want him. Well, and and I mean, you know, he's he's coming into a situation where he's, you know, he he's going to have to beat off Ryan Flaherty with a stick to get that second <laughs> base job. Let me tell you, I mean, we're clearly just going to hand it to him. So, uh, but speaking of second base, that leads into my second uh, my second piece of hot stove news that I would like to discuss with you. Um, which is the the Robinson Cano negotiations, or as I would like to call them, the Cano-tions. <laughs> Cano-tions. You my, got that right. <laughs> in my head, that was going to work better than I feel like it did. Cano-tions, it was fine. If you just you just uh, you just uh, stopped a little bit in the middle. You know what? I doubted myself. Yeah, you know. You I got to stop doing that. You just got to believe. Okay, this is what this is what irks me about Yankees fans. Ah, uh. <laughs> <laughs> a sentence that has never been uttered on this show. Um. Yankees fans get really upset when you accuse them of buying success. They claim that players want to come to the Yankees because the Yankees are winners. Never mind the fact that the Yankees are winners because they pay through the nose for winning players. We'll set that aside for a moment. But now we have these reports emerging that Cano is negotiating with the the Mariners, and Yankees fans are flabbergasted because (laughs) it turns out it is all about the money for these guys. Robinson Cano does not give a good goddamn about staying in the Bronx. He wants the biggest free agent contract of all time. 
And customarily, the Yankees have been the tree you want to bark up for that kind of contract. <laughs> to get that kind of contract. But now they've undertaken this fake austerity plan, and I would not be surprised if Cano signs elsewhere, especially now that they have signed Ellsbury. Right. Austerity plan until you pay $135 million to watch Jacoby Ellsbury degrade slowly in center field. And that's if you get a full season out of him, which right. the Red Sox have only gotten maybe two of. Two of out of the last five. Yeah. The whole thing is 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 an absolute joke. I've had so many Yankees fans tell me, oh, Cano would never leave. Cano would never leave. He's not serious about leaving. Clearly he is. Well, the uh, the good news is that the Yankees fan um, that I'm friends with just sent me a little note saying, the last two years of a contract are just the after-dinner mint for the Yankees. <laughs> Which, you know, is true. <laughs> but uh, enjoy the after-dinner mint of Alex Rodriguez and Jacoby Ellsbury as they come on the same platter at the same time. And, P.S., Mark Teixeira and C.C. Sabathia. I mean, yeah, they're going to be paying all of these guys... 20 some million dollars a year at the same time and it is going to be i mean if you thought the yankees were a sad sack of bones this year <laughs> i mean wait till you don't even have mariano rivera to distract people from what's happening they they had an amazing year last year mm -hmm. considering the uh octogenarians that they were rolling out there absolutely um and i i, I can't even think that they're going to be as successful as that this year i don't think that jacoby ellsbury fixes the holes that the yankees have no not at all not at all but since we're talking free agents here is my question about the cano situation okay is robinson cano this is a question i want to put to you is robinson cano the last generational talent to actually hit free agency because when you look at the other guys who are roughly Robinson Cano's vintage, we're talking Tulowitzki, Verlander, Felix Hernandez, Joey Votto, Joe Maurer. These are other homegrown talents who have come up through a team's uh, farm system, gotten to the major league level, developed into elite performers. Cano is one of the few in that group who did not sign an extension to stay with his, uh, his home organization indefinitely. Right. And the trend is very much in that direction. So is part of what's going on with Cano that uh, Jay-Z, who's his agent, <laughs> is Woo! in some ways trying to get a contract that will save the the free agent industry, for lack of a better term? Well, I think that um, Mike Trout going to get paid. I would hope so. <laughs> I mean, he's going to get if paid anyone a deserves lot it. of money. And I don't know that, um, specifically looking at the Angels organization... Um, I don't know that they're going to be able to pay him the way that they want to pay him, the way that he's worth. So he may be somebody who hits the free agent market, if only because um, the Angels are, unless they find a way to get rid of some pretty bad contracts that they're stuck with right now. Oh boy. I'm not sure that they can do the what they need to do to pay Mike Trout the amount of money that he's worth. Yeah. Um, so he's the only one I can think of. That might be a counterpoint, but he might be a counterpoint because of bad future management, which is another exception that proves the rule. I think if you're the Angels, you lose all credibility as an organization if you don't figure out a way to extend Mike Trout. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, I mean... <laughs> They've also paid. <laughs> on the other hand, what credibility do they have left? <laughs> yeah, and and uh, I mean, on on the other hand, like I, I don't know how much money the Angels are making, but it can't be that much. And I, I don't know how long they stay above the tax. I don't think they're selling out crowds no. to watch Josh Hamilton strike out with runners on base. And I mean, I think that Albert Pujols is one of the 
clearly, clearly a transcendental, you know, amazing talent. But I don't know what happens when he comes back from a foot surgery and he has nine, eight more years left in that contract. Eight more years left? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eight years and I think uh, at least $220 million. Great. Uh, so here's the other thing, Alan. Okay. We've... um. We've been trying to answer this question of of how do we measure the gap between good and great right. for the Orioles? What is the what is the distance between those two marker points? And and we now have an answer. Mm. It's one Jamile. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! No, I'm I'm I'm, I'm kidding. So sad. <laughs> I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, uh, in, in all seriousness, we have Jamiles to go before we sleep. Yes, we certainly do. And and while it's not time to panic, we should be mildly concerned. <laughs> I'm extremely concerned. And and that's the Henry Truth Rudia. <laughs> oh God, it hurts. <laughs> well, here in the rundown, I have a couple more just sort of hot stove topics to bounce off of you. Hit me. Uh, your boy Justin Murnau looks to be going to the Rockies. Two years. Um, sad to see him go. Murnau. Murnau. Uh, no. I, I, well, uh, here's the thing. If Morneau is willing to sign with the Rockies... Two-year deal. On a two-year deal, does it... Do you have a dollar amount? I don't have, an, I don't have a number for you. I mean, I was actually very interested in the idea of bringing in Morneau and saying, listen, buddy, you're only going to hit against right-handed pitching. You're going to DH most of the time. That's it. I don't know if you... Uh, I, I think Morneau is a guy who has a little bit too big of an ego to take that role. Mm. Um, so it was probably a lost cause. If he'd been willing to do it, I think it would have been a nice signing. And I think he would have been exactly the kind of hitter we needed. Um, I'm not really sad to see him go. I'd much rather have the uh, the Kendris Moraleses of the world. Three years, $24 million for Phil Hughes. I am not a Phil Hughes fan. Phil Good Hughes God, no. is a fly ball pitcher, and Oriole Park at Camden Yards is a goddamn bandbox. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Phil Hughes is very smart to, to retreat go pitch to in the Minnesota. friendly confines of Minnesota's field. Yeah, yeah. Target I think, not a bandbox. <laughs> no, not at all. I I think I think Phil Hughes is going to reestablish a lot of value there, and is probably going to get overpaid the next time he's on the uh, free agent market. So he got three years, twenty four. Saltilmachia. Three years, 21, to go pitch for the Marlins. Pitch? Oh, catch for the Marlins. Yeah, Marlins are desperate. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I will admit uh, in the in the deepest recesses of my mind where Matt Weider's trade fantasies reside, mm. um, I Which thought... the places that no one talks about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've talked about it. We've talked about it. Um I had an idea in my head that uh, Saul Tillamachia might not be a bad guy to bring in once we traded Matt Wieters ah. for David Price. Um, but obviously that's not going to happen because the Rays have signed at last count, I think, 47 catchers this sure. offseason. They have a they have a, a solid group. Well, you got to bring back Jose Molina. Yeah, well, sure. Because the fans, what little fans there are in Tampa Bay, are just not going to show up if Jose Molina is not wearing the white and teal. I I'm, I I understand why. They're not going to be there. Um, now, the thing that really makes me sad when I think about 2014 is that Ryan Hannigan is going to hit 70 home runs <laughs> because that's how Andrew Friedman does business. That's what happens. Ugh. You take you take a backup catcher like Ryan Hannigan. Right. You bring him in. 
You sign him to a three-year extension for peanuts. And he goes up 40 points in his batting average yeah. and just starts jacking them deep. I mean, if I'm Ryan Hannigan right now, I am pinching myself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Real hard. Right. Do you know uh, Do you know that he throws out 40% of opposing base dealers? I did not know that. That's the thing that he does. Wow. Ray's uh, not looking to get a lot worse. So speaking of not looking to get a lot worse, the Boston Red Sox... Mm pushed out Jacoby, the oft-injured but um, undoubtedly talented Jacoby Ellsbury, leaving a hole in the outfield. Mm. Now, uh, they're talking in in loose, irresponsible ways of uh, Sin Shu Chu moving up the Red Sox target list as a result of Ellsbury flying the coop. Uh, given what Ellsbury was somehow able to command from the Yankees, the uh, Red Sox, if they can get Chu make themselves better i think he's a better player than ellsbury for that lineup and make the yankees worse the thing i don't understand is it seems like the way the market is going to shake out shinsu chu is going to get less average annual value than jacoby ellsbury which does not make sense nope because i would take Chu in a heartbeat yeah and i don't want i don't want to pay shinsu chu 20 million dollars a year but he is unquestionably more durable more multifaceted and is going to have more longevity than Jacoby Ellsbury. This is a thing that's interesting, actually. Uh, we're living in a world where you can no longer command a huge return for a closer. Saves are no longer a sexy stat, as we have just learned <laughs> this week. <laughs> and in the beginning of, what, what did you call it? The Jamal Weeks thing. <laughs> Jamal Weeks thing. Which is, which is what we're going to refer to it as. Oh, boy. Uh, stolen bases, however... Apparently, your Carl Crawfords and your Jacoby Ellsburys can still get paid. See, I I uh, very much enjoyed the first half of last season when Nate McClouth was just tearing up the base paths. I think that was fun. It gave us a surprising new wrinkle to the Orioles' offense. So I'm not going to sit here and poo-poo the idea that speed kills. But I don't think that you overpay for speed on a long-term contract because it doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up. I mean, I think that... The thing about speed is that we're going to figure out that it, it it matches in a lot of ways what we're learning about closers, which is that four years into their career, unless they're Mariano Rivera, and very few people turned out are Mariano Rivera, they're going to end up losing whatever it is that they had. Well, and this is the thing about Mariano Rivera, and, and we're going to annoy our Yankees fan listeners even more uh, by saying this. <laughs> I wouldn't pay $10 million a year for Mariano Rivera. Oh, I would. He's not worth it. Oh, I would. Really? Yes. Really? Absolutely. Because it would make New Yorkers angry or yeah. because you think he's worth that no, much money? No, because I think he's worth that much money. And here's why. The psychological damage that I saw him in his heyday wreck on our team, the idea that you were playing a eight-inning game versus a nine-inning game is the thing that only Mariano Rivera has ever been able to do. And there were moments when Jonathan Papelbon has been terrifying. There have been moments where there are other guys who it's like, oh, I don't want to have to face him. We should try to work around him. But there's never been a guy who for seven or eight years there changed the way that you played the game because you only had to pitch eight innings and everyone else had to pitch nine. And that's fucking terrifying. I'll be honest, I was not expecting that effective of a pushback. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's the greatest and there's not going to be anyone else who's like him and thank God. God damn it. All right, well, we'll leave the rundown there, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to our interview with Nick Mandillo, 2013 fan cave dweller and Boston Red Thox Red enthusiast. 
just a splendid guy, and I'm really looking forward to chatting with him right here in Baltimore. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are now on the line with Mr. Nick Mendillo. Nick, in addition to being a hilarious individual, uh, was one of the lucky nine folks chosen not just as part of the Fan Cave 30, uh, about which experience I told you some uh, earlier this year, but Nick was actually selected for the Fan Cave and is here to tell us about that as well as his beloved Boston Red Sox. Mr. Mendillo, how are you doing this evening? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. It's fun already. Oh, man. Well, get ready for a good times <laughs> rocket ship then, because it just goes up from here. <laughs> so, so Nick, I guess uh, right off the bat, I want to ask, we experienced together the kind of bizarre three-day, vaguely reality show-esque uh, fantasy camp of the fan cave experience. <laughs> in Arizona, but then you were actually selected to be a part of the fan cave. So um, I guess what I would really love to know is when you got off the plane in Arizona for the fan cave 30 experience, uh, when you still didn't know whether or not you were going to be in the fan cave, what were you expecting out of that experience? What did you think the fan cave was going to be? Oh God! You know, it was such a strange time. The whole the whole year was so strange. Uh, uh, but and and I I, it was, I had so much going on in my personal life uh, before I got on that plane and I met you. So much going on, like with my job, with just like uh, midlife crisis kind of stuff. Like, what am I doing with my life? I'm not I'm not doing what I need to do to to be happy and all this other stuff and. Mm-hmm. I had just gotten let go at my job. I was just like, oh, man, like, I have to do this fan cave thing 100% full force. And when I got to Arizona with you guys, I, I was just like, I'm going to be myself 100%. I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to try to be someone I'm not. And I just kind of went in there with the expectation of this just fell in my lap. I have the opportunity to do something incredible with it. I've been waiting my whole life for something like this. I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. And luckily, when I was there, it was really cool and, and you know, uh, uh, it worked out for the better uh, for me. But, I mean, that weekend alone was, was worth the trip, you know? Yeah. And I, I should tell people, Nick, um, from the beginning, I would say, uh, as soon as we got to Arizona, if they needed somebody to be in a video, they were like, where's that Nick Mandillo guy? Let's get him up here to do that. Uh, Nick was like first in line, volunteering for everything, but not in that way where you're like, oh, this guy's trying too hard. Just in this way that was exactly like Nick was saying, like, this is an incredible opportunity and I'm here to make the most of it. And where I think other people maybe were a little bit falling all over themselves to be like, duh, how do I show them that I love the baseball? Nick just like, radiated it <laughs> you know they, they brought in everybody that had different talents they had some production people they had writers they had photoshop geniuses and, and things like that and i was an actor and a right. comedian and i knew that that's what i was there for like that was my niche i guess you could say so of course i volunteered to be on camera uh, uh, i i because that's what i did the best you know like, yeah so you do get chosen 
Um, and what what happens? Like, do they? Because do, one of the things I thought was very interesting about the the whole fan cave experience is they were very cagey while we were in Arizona, um, and even afterwards, really about like what the fan cave is. So, was there some kind of moment of clarity once you were selected that did they say this is what we expect of you? How did it work? Um, they 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 told us essentially what they wanted from us. And again, like I said, they, we all had different talents. Uh, out of the nine, uh, I'm not going to go through every one, but sure. you know, I was on camera talent. Ben was an excellent writer. Uh, Mina was uh, amazing at Photoshop, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they wanted us all to work together, and that was like the kind of like the big thing that they uh, kept pushing was for all of us to work together. It's not a competition. It's not a competition. Yada yada yada. Um, so that's what we essentially did, and we worked together to promote baseball uh, and pop culture. And we were ambassadors of baseball, bridging the gap between baseball and and you know things that all the cool kids like. Uh, the main goal of the fan cave—it's a marketing tool, essentially. The fan cave is strictly a marketing tool to appeal to a younger demographic because right now the demographic of Major League Baseball is 45-year-old white male. So they wanted that. <laughs> And that, I mean, it's funny when you say it out loud, but it it, it, it is the truth. For and, sure. Uh, you know, and and that's what we essentially had to do. And and if you if I were to put it on a term, like a, a phrase, this is what I put on my resume. Um, we were social media content producers. And yeah. Because uh, we used every single medium of social media to kind of put our thoughts and our messages and our uh, marketing campaigns out there. So it was like again a marketing tool, a big social media experiment, and we were all behind the wheel. Was this um, a uh, mostly what you were expecting, or were you were you uh, thinking this was going to be more of a um, focused on you getting to watch all of the baseball? Um, I would say that I kind of got caught up a little bit too much in the I need to do something every day. I need to make sure that they see that I'm working hard and that I'm doing it the right way. Um, the baseball games themselves kind of became secondary, hmm. uh, which is a shame, you know, because now, now in uh, hindsight, it's always 2020, but I would have done things remarkably different while I was there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, while, like, while I was there, I kind of let it get, get to me a little bit, I think, and uh, wasn't really focused on just kind of being there. I was more focused on staying there. Mm-hmm. See, that's a really interesting thing because you you said uh, a few minutes ago that um, they stressed that it's not a competition, but really, at because there are eliminations, it is at some level a competition. So, is that well, something? Well, it's more of a competition with myself. I mean, to cut you off, but it's more of a competition with myself because I had put so much into just getting there that I really needed to stay there for a long time. I mean, I didn't think I was going to win uh, at all. Mm-hmm. In fact, making the top three would have been an amazing victory unto itself. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely, I mean, I definitely did not want to get eliminated first. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. Um, but they had their reasons, and I, I still to this day don't know what those reasons are, but they, they, uh, they had their reasons. The competition part, it's, it's strange because it really wasn't a competition at all. I was just really trying to do as much as I could so that 
I knew, this is like getting really deep. Like I knew that <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. This, this was what I was supposed to do. Like that's why I'm I'm in the world is to make is to produce content, is to create art. Yeah. And I want to do it every day and I, I, I ended up getting overwhelmed, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, I guess the, the next kind of question there is you are an immense Boston Red Sox fan. Um, do you feel like your presence in the fan cave uh, helped you get excited about the, the Red Sox season, which was obviously beginning? <laughs> Sorry, finish your class. I'm just giggling because uh, uh, there's a, there was a lot uh, behind them picking a Red Sox fan. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was the first Red Sox fan to be chosen for the fan cave. They were very, very afraid that I was going to be this obnoxious uh, kind of like Boston dumb jerk, <laughs> uh, which is a you know, a fairly accurate stereotype of most of the people from from Boston. Mm-hmm. Nothing against Boston people. I love them. They're great, but they're very, very. Uh, Wrong-headed, is that the word? <laughs> we'll take it, <laughs> like, we'll take it. Most of them just watch, like, they love the Red Sox so much that they just don't care about any other team, especially the Yankees. Right. Me, I'm I'm a diehard Red Sox fan, but I'm also not a jerk, and I'm not, like, a, a, a bullheaded kind of guy. Imagine that. Imagine very, that combination. They were very pleased with that. But there was a moment uh, Joel Hanrahan gave up a three-run home run to lose a game in the bottom of the ninth. And I lost my shit. Can I swear? <laughs> oh, yes, please. Could, please do. It's encouraged. Okay. I lost my shit. <laughs> I went ballistic, and I was screaming and yelling. And that was, like, one of the first times that I really kind of got out, out of my shell as a fan. Because they got to see me not when I was happy, but they got to see me basically the way I was the entire uh, 2012 season with Bobby Valentine. Right. I hated baseball so much <laughs> that... I feel like when I was in the cave, I wanted to represent the Red Sox, and I wanted to stay positive. I did not want that uh, skepticism to come out that a lot of Red Sox fans at the beginning of, of 2013 had. We all thought at the beginning of this year that, you know what, if we can break 500, if we can get that second wild card spot, it's going to be a good year. But I doubt it. <laughs> and so I was, I was trying to keep that positive attitude. Um, and plus, April Weitzman, uh, the, the Blue Jays fan, is one of the most energetic uh, fans I've ever seen. If in the first inning the, the Blue Jays get a strikeout, she's jumping up and down, screaming like crazy. And <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe I wanted to like compete a little bit with her about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And maybe like, no way, you can't be a bigger fan. You root for the Blue Jays. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I, I really, I, I want to be happy. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a list to you now. Wade Boggs, <laughs> Johnny Damon. Kevin Euclid, now Jacoby Ellsbury, uh, shifting from the B to the Y on their on their hats. Uh, uh-huh. What do you think? Jacoby Ellsbury, I, I tweeted this earlier. Jacoby Ellsbury is a scumbag. That's such a <laughs> scumbag thing to do. The guy's played barely two seasons in the last four years. He's good. He's not. I mean, he's he's good. I'm not going to say he's not good. He's fantastic. Like, come on, dude! Your agent is calling the shots, and you took the large number of years with the large dollar sign to go play for the enemy. 
that you know is the enemy. You've been in brawls against the Yankees. Yep. Wearing, a, wearing Boston, you know? You had the Boston strong patch on your arm for most of the season. You know, this is your fucking city, you asshole. And you <laughs> go and you go play for the worst fucking team you can go play for? Are you kidding me? I wouldn't have cared if he went anywhere else. I knew we probably weren't going to keep him. But the fact that he went to the Yankees, oh, my God. And the Yankees, are you kidding me? How could you spend that much money on this player when your farm system is completely depleted? He's not going to be – he's going to be good for three, four years out of that seven-year deal. Then what are you going to do in that five, six, seven, and the option for the eighth year when you have no young players? (laughs) Yeah, man. Totally. What they're going to do is they're going to do the uh, the they're going to put him out to pasture after about four years because you're right, speed's not going to hold up and he's not going to be a good player in that period of time. Yeah, and he's never going to hit 32 home runs again. Give me a break. And then he's going to end up uh, surfacing in a steroid rumor. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and you know you look at the other players like Johnny Damon, twilight of his career, wasn't really as upset. Uh, Kevin Euclid didn't really mind that he that he went to the Yankees either. I mean, he went to the White Sox first, so after he went to the White Sox, it was out of our hands anyway. Yeah, uh, fair. He was kind of just hoping for a job. <laughs> now, Ellsbury had a career with Boston, and actually there were rumors that we were going to offer him a short contract, because that's our thing now, a short-year contract. Mm-hmm. We were going to offer him, I think, like $23 million a year for three years, but instead he takes 22 for seven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's absurd. It's it's totally absurd. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so obviously the Yankees whole line about wanting to get back under the luxury tax and get their financial house in order, obviously a load of crap. Also, it clearly means that, you know, after all the year of Mariano and, and the Jeter farewell tour that we're going to be subjected to next year and the way that they kind of, you know, get so rhapsodic about all these homegrown guys, they're obviously ready to let Cano walk because there's no way they're going to give Cano what he's asking for after they've done this for Ellsbury. I mean, their whole, the whole purported Yankee philosophy is an obvious sham at this point. And you're absolutely right. Maybe they realize some short-term benefit from Jacoby Ellsbury, but the guy is incredibly injury prone. And even if they get those three good years out of him, he is going to be aging into obscurity just as they're starting to pay him the most money, and they're still going to be paying A-Rod. That's right. They didn't to pay A-Rod. I forgot about that. (laughs) That just makes you smile, though. (laughs) All right, Nick Mandela. Well, we very much appreciate you taking the time to join us this evening. People out there in listener land who want to follow uh, Mr. Mandela's exploits should follow him on Twitter. He's at Grevalt, G-R-E-V-A-L-T. What is that a reference to, by the way? Uh, Gravolt is a totally made-up nickname that I made, uh, <laughs> it's a long story, but it's a nickname I made up in, in high school for a, a physics project. <laughs> uh, I, I have, if, if you want, tweet at me, at Gravolt, and I can send you the YouTube clip of the physics video that my friends and I made, uh, for a project in our physics class. It's hilarious, it's 23 minutes long, <laughs> and, uh... There's a lot of uh, 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 epic, epic things that happen there. 
<laughs> oh my god, everybody yeah. do that. Those gems and more, ladies and gentlemen, at Grivault on Twitter. Nick, thank you very much for joining us. We'll uh, we'll hope to have you back on again soon. This was a real, real blast, and I really am happy you guys had me on. I would love to do this again very soon. Rock and roll, man. We'll be talking to you then. All right, man. Keep in touch. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Baltimore, the home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. And this is Sam Dingman. Alan, I'm, uh, it's getting late in the show, um, and I think I need a little break before we wrap things up. Uh, what would you say to a little seventh-inning sketch? Let's take a little break. Okie doke. We're going to leave you, Baltimoreans, as we go out and walk around with a cautionary tale <laughs> for any fan who is uh, excited about signing a Carlos Beltran or like-aging star. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, a few years ago, I had the great pleasure of being in a sketch comedy group with Mr. Ben Mastin, who you've heard on the show many times. And when the Orioles signed Vladimir Guerrero right at the end of the 2011 offseason, I was just about as excited as an excited person has ever been. I mean, the man does hit curveballs that bounce in front of the plate. Or did. <laughs> as we all now are aware, that was a that was a terrible decision. So let's... As, as we preached rational outrage earlier, uh, let's, let's temper our exuberance for the Carlos Beltrans of the world and remember the lessons of Vladimir Guerrero with the ballad of Vladimir Guerrero. One day in Perubia, in the Dominican Republic, the morning sun rose bright. For a child was born with a full-grown goatee. And he hit his first home run that night. His parents, they named him Vladimir. And I am not really sure why. Perhaps there's some historical, cultural exchange between Russia and Latin America, but I don't think so. At any rate, the thing about Vladdy that was so amazing is that each year he could be marked down. For 30 home runs and a 300 average and a shot at the Triple Crown. Oh, he patrols right field with sure hands and poise and addressed, and addressed fans with both grace and class. Also, when he bats, he doesn't wear batting gloves and I think that's super badass. For eight years he set records with the Montreal Expos, but they don't exist anymore. And following stints in Anaheim and Texas, he's coming to Baltimore. And all the rejoicing that occurred on that day, when blogs reported that Vlad had signed. From his cubicle on West 24th Street, Sam Dingman leapt up and cheered and opined. This is it, motherfuckers, you'd better watch out For this will at last be the year When the Orioles fly north from the AL East cellar Filling Yankees and Red Sox with fear For thirteen long years we have had losing records But hark, can you not hear the chimes? The chimes of production with runners on base Old Vlad is indeed past his prime! Mastin.
Go Yankees. What do you want? Strum. Aha. I'll tell you something about Vladdy Guerrero. His knees are shot. You know it's true. He cannot contribute with his play in the field, which is why he DHs for you. But speak not of Luke Scott. He can't play a lick of defense in left field, and you know it. And his goatee shall not bring an American League pennant, no matter how long he may grow it. Submit to the might and unlimited budget of the Yankees, our fate's undeniable. For when October doth come, we'll stand as the champions, though our pitching's a tad unreliable. A tad unreliable? Look, shut, shut up. Oh, Vladimir, Vladimir, say it ain't so. Let's prove ESPN's Keith Law wrong. When he says that your offense, which we bought for eight million, could have been gotten elsewhere for a song. A mere 280 average with 25 homers, and my thirst for offense will be sated. Ha! You're a fool, for you know as well as I that his numbers in Texas were inflated. It is known to be true that the climate in Texas allowed even Hank Blaylock to bop. But in the cool mid-Atlantic where Baltimore plays, Vladimir might as well swing a mop. Maston, be gone with your facts and your figures, for my dreams are powered by hope. And I firmly believe that with Vlad on our side, it's the year when we'll win the... Nope. Nope. Fine. Nope, nope, nope. You're right. We don't have the pitching. Yeah. I mean, Jeremy Guthrie is not a staff ace. Sorry. So? AJ Burnett? AJ Burnett's not a number two. Have fun beating the Red Sox with that. We're not talking about the Red Sox. Or are we? Whoa. Oh, oh God, God, the Red Sox are straight up insane. Their rotation and lineup are stacked. There's simply no way that they won't win the series, failing a spaceman attack. So come all you Martians in your glowing ships and hoist Carl Crawford to space. And if you have time and it's not too much trouble, punch Eucalyptus right in his face. And we'll do your bidding, we'll be your willing servants. I feel like we're getting off track. Oh Ben, don't lament, I'll drift from the topic. For there's someone who can bring us back. Vlad Guerrero, Vlad Guerrero, now take up your bat and use it as a laser gun. Vlad Guerrero, Vlad Guerrero, fight true and fight strong until the space wars and pennant are won. That was the Ballad of Vlad Guerrero, performed by Sam Dingman and Ben Mastin as Audience of Two. And that's about all the time we have for this week's program. Hope you enjoyed your seventh inning uh, sketch there. Alan and I had a lovely promenade. (laughs) 
What was no pro, not promenade? A constitutional. <laughs> a lovely constitutional. It was a constitutional around the the neighborhood of Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and a little bit of uh, a few jumping jacks here in Houdini Studios. Yes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you've enjoyed the show. This was episode 74 of Baltimoreans, and if you did, we would be most grateful if you would skippity doo over to the iTunes store and let your fellow podcast listeners know via a review that this is this is really some some top shelf baseball podcastry <laughs> that you got streaming right here, or some uh, some some middle shelf podcastry that occasionally uh, mentions baseball. Whatever, <laughs> however you want to review it, you know, it, it just not less than three stars, please, because <laughs> then we start to have a negative effect. Um, uh, if you would like to tell us about how great and or pathetic we are on the show, you can do that in a series of ways. So um, many. I'm at a Smith for our time. Sam is at Sam Dingman. That's the one. All right. We together are at B Morons. Indeed. Um, you can write us an email at uh, BaltimoreOnsPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you should also go over, of course, to BaltimoreSportsReport.com slash network. All right. Actually, you know what? Delete network. First, go to BaltimoreSportsReport.com and read the articles. Right. Because like Playboy, it's not just a bunch <laughs> of pretty faces. <laughs> there is some solid sports writing taking place over there at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. To go with the, uh, the, the, the centerfolds. Yes, which is us. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the music on the show, as always, was our intro music by Marshall York. The interstitial sounds were Birdland by the band Weather Report. And uh, here on the outro, it is, of course, Kicking My Heart Around by the Black Crows. And you already got your Henry Arudi upon this week. Don't be greedy. Yeah, yeah. Simmer. Simmer down. Bye-bye. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com. <laughs>